I bring you TJ Riggs. TJ, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Brian. I appreciate it, man. Big fan of the podcast, man. Thanks for saying so. It's good to know I'm reaching some people out there. The podcaster studio can be a lonely outpost. So anyways, I thought that we'd get started by talking about your group, which is called Stainless, and the importance of leadership in a band setting. So could you expand on the idea of band leadership? Yeah, I think uh, with all the creative differences you have in, in, uh, uh, in any group, really, I think it's important to have a clear-cut leader, uh, someone who can make final decisions. The most productive bands I was ever in were led by one person who made all the decisions, booked all the shows, and wrote all the songs. Yeah, yeah. Even if it's like uh, just one or, or two guys in the band, and it just gets kind of uh, kind of difficult when you got like four or five guys trying to make decisions. Yeah, it gets messy. Well, I think it's also important for the leader of the band to know also that he has to be more of like the sacrificial leader. Leadership does not mean dominance in any relationship for that matter. Um, being dominant, having domain over anybody isn't going to work. So what you have to do is you have to be able to keep everybody happy or at least keep everybody in line. Yeah, I agree. You can't let things get too chaotic. Nothing gets done that way. I've been to a lot of band rehearsals that would have been more properly labeled as parties with no unifying vision or concerted effort, just leaderless chaos, really. So there's got to be someone in charge. Yeah, I agree. You got to be able to keep everybody on the same page. So what about the relationships that exist within the band? You know, trying not to be jerks to each other, etc. How important do you think that is with keeping the group together? I think it's important to learn to let things go. No, right. Letting things go is a recipe for smooth relationships. Yeah. You don't want to kind of dwell on things from the past. You want to learn how to move on. Especially since it's so fraught with emotional peril, the rehearsal and performances and writing songs and rehearsing songs. For example, if someone hasn't practiced and you get to band practice and there's that member that clearly did not do the uh, before practice practice. So you and I were talking about this. Before. That's the most important part of practice of the pre-practice practice. Yeah, I agree. And in my experiences, I've been the only one that has been prepared for the band practices. Uh, most of the other guys, you know, they just kind of learn the songs off of me. And it is frustrating. Yeah, it seems to be a burden unique to lead guitarists, which we both are. We sort of have to practice the most, and then it is frustrating to get to rehearsal to realize that no one had spent any time at all listening to the music. Yeah, well, I think the bass player in my band, for the most part, he just needs to know what key it's in. And the drummer, you know, he just has to listen to it once. Um, why he doesn't listen to it before practice, that would certainly help, but sometimes he doesn't. But, you know, I'm, I'm not prepared a lot of times, too. Well, this is a role for leadership, then, what you were mentioning earlier, to have a clear leader in the band and to have someone that doesn't take shit in this department, right? If you show up to rehearsal and you hadn't learned the songs, then someone really needs to say something. I agree. Who says that something in Stainless? Um, it, that would probably be me and Luke. He's the bass player. And what about 
gig day, when the show is finally upon the band and it's time to deliver, what are some of the performance ethics that you think are important? For example, we were talking earlier about maybe being present for the other bands. So if you're playing on a bill with several other bands, you know, maybe be a cool guy and hang out and watch their performance. Particularly if I'm like the headlining band, I think it's important to, to watch the, the people that are, are opening for you. Um, I, I think it's important for to uh, at least acknowledge them after the show if you're not there present watching them. It's a simple way to show some respect. Yeah, absolutely. And what else? What about the, the, the venues and uh, cleaning up afterwards or even the stage dynamic? If you're playing with other bands, sometimes your pedal board can be in everyone's way. Simple things like that go a long way if you're just kind and courteous to everybody. Absolutely, yeah. I normally try to help the other band kind of clean up. Uh, it makes every, the transition a little bit smoother in between uh, bands. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you can't just be standing on the side of the stage like a diva yeah. waiting for everyone to, to clear the area so that you can arrive with your exactly. sick, sick lips. Yeah, standing there saying, hey, come on, guys, hurry up. So, anyways, what about just the nuts and bolts of being a musician? What about musician maintenance? Do you have experience with injury? Have you played guitar long enough to experience the, the devil of injury? Well, I've been playing for probably about 30 years or close to it. And uh, the thing that I've realized is uh, I, I recently went to the doctors. I don't know if it's like carpal tunnel or nerve damage or something like that. But uh, it's in my, my fretting hand. It's my middle finger my fretting hand and uh the doctor had told me to to get to wear a brace at night when i sleep and that's helped uh but at this point you know he said i would have to see a specialist but that's really the only thing that i've experienced you know so far yeah what do you think brought that on and what does it involve do you have numbness or pain well i don't know if it's because of playing guitar you know or uh, just ripping open boxes you know what i do for a living you know day in and day out yeah, so who knows where you could have acquired this injury. I've certainly experienced some injury from playing, and it's really frustrating because it messes with practicing, which is the next thing I want to talk about, which is maintaining ability. Do you have a concerted effort towards uh, keeping your chops together? If you got to play these, these hard rock 80 songs with all their guitar acrobatics, what do you do about maintaining ability? Uh, I try not to over prepare myself as far as like playing too much and as to further injure myself. That's a wise move. I don't know. Sometimes I just, I can't help it. I, I'm just sitting here in the basement playing scales for no other reason than I want to, I want to be better. Yeah. Well, I want to be better too, but I think at this point, you know, for me, I just kind of want to maintain what I have at the very least. I do want to learn things as I, you know, and pick them up as I go, but. No, that's good news. You should maintain what you have because lead guitar, if you don't exercise it to some degree, it sort of evaporates. It's not like rhythm guitar where I can imagine being able to pick up a guitar having not played for a year on end and still being able to play G, C, and D and other rhythm maneuvers. But I'm not exactly sure if I could play some of the more complicated rock solos that I have to pull off routinely. Well, I rely a lot on muscle memory, actually. Yeah, but I find that even muscle memory will evaporate if it's not continually. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I do have to 
go over things. That's why we have practice, you know, before the show. That's why we do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've basically been playing like the same songs for like the last, what, almost 20 years, 15 years. Yeah. That's one Um, way to do it is if you keep the... It's a lot of songs, but um, yeah, we really don't... We're at the point where we're not really learning any new material. So you're just maintaining material. We're just maintaining material. There's things that we, we... like our last show, we played a couple songs that we hadn't played in probably like 10 years. And uh, I think I remember starting to play the song and trying to think of what key it was in at the same time. Yeah, that's always a bad feeling. Yeah. So what did you do? We just did what we did. We just played the song and got through it. Yeah, closed your eyes, hope for the best. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think we did pretty well, though. It was a lot of fun. So anyways, we talked a little bit about rock solos and, and preparing solos of other people's music, which is different from improvising or writing your own solos. It's a sort of a, a discipline in itself to you know, learn some David Gilmore solos, say, or Slash solos. So I thought for fun that we would just uh, have you demonstrate the guitar solo to Sweet Child of Mine. Does that sound good? And then we can talk a little bit about what it is that went into... Uh, the preparation here. Sure, man. Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah, let's cool. do this. Yeah, let's let's do some rock and roll. All right. Are you all set? Uh, I think so. Okay. Yeah. All right. One, two, three, four. <laughs> Nice, man. Thanks. I tried. <laughs> right. <laughs> cool rocking and rolling. So, yeah, yeah I've, I've taken a look at that solo from time to time, and it's got some fancy gymnastics. So sort of walk me through your approach to that uh, symphony of destruction. Well, I've been playing that solo for many years, and I don't think I've hit it dead on once. Not <laughs> once. Right. But it's one of those uh, things that... Uh, how I play anyways is like I try to pick out some of the key licks that the artist is playing and then just kind of, you know, some of the runs and stuff like that, that I don't feel like learning note for note because it's kind of tedious. What I try to do is just try to phrase them like they do and maybe try to use the same scales that they they do. Sort of get in the ballpark. And uh, just kind of piece the puzzle together like that and uh, go from there and it's constantly evolving too, as you, as you know. Anytime you play play something or learn something or you write something, each time you play it, sometimes it's a little bit different than the last, and it just keeps evolving over evolving over years. So, yeah, that's a wise move. Sometimes it is tedious to really dig down and 
figure out precisely what they did, especially since you're fairly certain that this person also doesn't know what they did precisely there. Yeah. And if you just get in the ballpark and you play something similar using the same scale, a lot of the times it's not really detectable from the audience. From their point of view, you're you're nailing the solo. Yeah. Well, music is an is an expression of individuality. So I cannot do slash. And the same vice versa, I don't think slash could do me. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's hard to do anybody if you're not that buddy. But it's never exactly the same licks and phrases. No. Or the same approach to tone, or the same approach to picking, and, and map that onto a thousand other little details that conspire to form someone's individuality on the instrument. The way I feel about it is if I learned each solo note for note, if I could actually do that, I don't think I would have time to do that. But if I did that, I still wouldn't sound exactly like the artist. Even if I use like their same exact equipment, I mean, I have different hands than they do. Yeah, that's true. It is. I've, I've really strived to do it from time to time, but I, I find it hard to to get. I don't know some of those critical details down that are really elusive. And then at that point, you just got to lean into being yourself. Just play it the way that you would play it, whether it's the same licks or not, or just ballpark licks. I'd rather do it that way. Yeah, that's that's a wise move. And what about uh, in addition to Slash? Are there any other guitar players that that you've enjoyed studying? Do you like uh, David Gilmore? Say, I do. Actually, one of the greatest compliments I ever got from somebody was like I, that I, I sounded a lot like David Gilmore. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just stop stop the playing. The guy at was that not point. educated though, so it's like you know. So he he couldn't really tell David Gilmore from Dave Mustaine. They're pretty far apart they as far as guitar players apart. go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One uses a lot of notes, and one uses just the right notes. Yeah, just a few notes placed at the right moments. And that's that's all you need. I've, that's what I've always admired about him. He doesn't overplay at all, like a lot of players do. Yeah, and it really goes a long way because he gets the most out of all of his licks and phrases. Oh, absolutely. He's dead on with his bends and everything else that he plays. Right on, man. What about your own approach to music? You told me earlier that you have a composition project in the works. So could you talk a little bit about your, your film score for your friend's horror movie? Yeah, so uh, we're, we're going to... Uh, Stainless is going to make a movie. So uh, Finally. Yeah. <laughs> but we play characters on stage for those people who are listening that don't uh, know who Stainless is. We wear wigs and we go up there and we try to act like rock stars and assholes and synonyms there. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to play our characters in the movie, um, but it's not going to be uh, stainless, the cover band. It's going to be stainless, the original band. And we're going to write some songs and try to get uh, a soundtrack together too, I guess, but I'm writing the, uh, this, this score and, and my singers, he has the whole outline already done and everything like that. And I just, I'm going to help him write the, uh, write the script and everything and character development. So it should be fun. I've never, I've always wanted to do this. So yeah, it sounds like an involved process, but maybe a, a great learning experience. Absolutely. Looking forward to that. Yeah. So maybe you can uh, come up with some dream compositions, right? You were talking to me earlier about 
coming up with stuff in dreams and then remembering how to do it when you wake. That ever That's only happened to me once. Yeah, it's never happened to me. It happened to Paul McCartney once. I think that's how he wrote yesterday. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I woke up and I started playing it and then I, I got up, I went to work and I came home and I couldn't remember even what key it was in. I think it was key of C. It was something very simple, but it was kind of like an idea that I'd never thought of before. So it was kind of strange in the same way. Simple is good as long as it's catchy, which seems to be the most important part about composition. Like it should be an earworm of sorts. It's got to be catchy. It's got to have a groove. If it doesn't have a groove, then it's not a song, in my opinion. Well, I, I, I like your style here, man. It's got to be catchy, and it's got to have a groove. You know, instead of saying something like, oh, man, I messed that part up, you know, say something like, you know, ask yourself, like, what did I just do? Yeah, that's, that's wise, because sometimes mistakes can be doorways into new ideas. That's been my whole musical career is mistakes. Yeah, just <laughs> that I've learned learned from. <laughs> right, just yeah. one mistake after well, the I mean, other. It can either it can either sound really good or it could sound really bad. And a lot of times it sounds really good and then you can't remember what you just did. And then you have to try to figure out what you just did. And that can be even harder than learning it the right way. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Those are wise words there, right? Just pay attention to your mistakes because who knows, maybe they're not really mistakes. Yeah. So anyways, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast, TJ. I appreciate this. This was a neat conversation. I appreciate you having me, man. This is awesome. Cool. Until next time.